the more target you're on the geolocation, you don't actually end up competing against yourself. You just have to be aware of your own market from that geolocation. And automotive services, if you go beyond five miles from the consumer, it reduces conversion dramatically. So that's why um, you'll see a lot of people still using traditional media like coupon mailers and stuff like that because they can target a specific address. And that's why they haven't, haven't done so well on digital. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Traditional media has been a master of offering relevant content based on users' locations. And while digital media has far more traceability, brands typically struggle to deliver location-based content to their visitors. Then you have location-centric businesses that only target specific neighborhoods and cities. You might have products relevant to their specific locations as other locations might not care for that. Location-based marketing requires a comprehensive review of your marketing strategy, including product, pricing, positioning, and targeting. So how do you create effective geo-based targeting strategies. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss geo-based targeting strategies for e-commerce. We discussed the nuances of geo-based targeting and planning and how that can provide a personalized experience and improve conversion rate. Finally, we covered the differences between B2B and B2C geo-based targeting strategies along with various tools, technologies, and best practices that can help you succeed with geo-based targeting. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, we have a very exciting topic, and that is going to be geo-based strategies that is going to be super relevant for any businesses that are going to be location-specific or the companies that are trying to tap into specific geography or the location. So we are going to be covering this topic from many different perspectives. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. Dave, can I start with you for your introduction? Of course. Thanks, Sam. And hey, everybody. Good to have you all with us. Uh, I am Dave Meyer with BusyWeb. We're a growth marketing agency based out of Minneapolis. And we help manufacturers drive attention and traffic and then help them automate their leads to close more deals. Thanks, Sam. Happy to be here. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Uh, Eric, can I move to you next for your intro? Yes. Hi, Sam. My name is Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager and a Magento certified solutions specialist working with Earthling Interactive. Platforms that I've worked with are Shopify, BigCommerce, and mostly Magento. Earthlings an agency that builds and maintains e-com sites for a variety of customers. So the type of products I get involved in include e-commerce development, 
architecture, strategy and assessments, and requirements gathering and implementation. So I am here to bring a developer perspective on these topics. Love it. Thank you so much, Eric, for being here. Uh, Rich, can I move to you next, joining for the first time? Sure. I'm Rich Keller. I'm the CEO of White Hunter Battery. I'm also the CEO of Keller Systems. I've been a 25-year veteran in ERP. My ERP systems are used at companies like Doc Martin, L'Oreal, Keenan Filters. And then we have a geolocation marketplace as a service platform that we launched 1-800-BATTERY on. It's the fastest-growing battery company in America today. And uh, I'm going to give you some uh, insights on how geolocation changed everything that we do. And so hopefully you get some value out of it. Thanks. This is going to be so exciting. Thank you so much for being here, Rich. Uh, Steve, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yes, thank you. And it's an honor to be with this fine group of uh, humans. My name is Steve Rice. I am the founder uh, or co-founder of Dotcom Jungle and the Globally Conscious Leader. Uh, and with Dotcom Jungle, we help owners of CPG companies uh, make and implement wise technology choices, uh, often in concert with their executive team. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. And Chris, I'm actually going to start with uh, Hi, everyone. Chris Harrington, President and COO at Gen Alpha Technologies. Uh, we help manufacturers, distributors, and dealers sell their parts, uh, aftermarket, and new equipment online. So always a pleasure to be here uh, alongside all of the other panelists. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Chris. So we are going to start with our topic. So Dave, I don't know if you want to start with a story that you may have uh, based on your customer engagement uh, related to a geo-based business. So do you want to just set the context either through a story or just decide what geo-based business is? Sure, sure, absolutely. We have a number of clients that like to focus in specific regions and or areas. And we usually find that the more specific you need, the better you're going to go, of course. Yeah. When, whether we're talking about radius targeting, geo-targeting, um, advertising, or just optimizing for search engines, you really need to be as specific as you can be with the intent of the customer at mind, in mind. So if you're looking for someone as a manufacturer that can sell parts nationwide, it's tempting just to go ahead and, br and bridge and have a huge campaign to hit everyone. However, the more specific you are and the more you can directly tie to an exact audience. Generally, not only the cheaper your marketing campaign is going to be because you're targeting fewer people, but the likelihood of that click actually resulting in a sale goes up as well. So you're going to have more content, more help. You're going to get better results and you're going to see probably more sales. So if you haven't considered geotargeting yet, it's a great thing to do. Now we have a client that focuses on windows and creating custom windows for um, like airports, around airports and other things. And so what we've found to be very helpful is to focus on specific neighborhoods around those airport areas. So for example, Minneapolis, there's a big airport, Minneapolis, St. Paul, it's a big hub. And so we focused on all of the neighborhoods that were experiencing excess noise with a noise abatement campaign. Now, just so happens a couple of years ago, the runways changed. And so there was an entirely new neighborhood that went live. Now we were able to actually target that and get a whole bunch of sales for our customers by being very focused on those new neighborhoods saying, you know, you've got a lot more planes flying over you now. It's time to connect. And it's time to just talk to somebody 
to get to the next step. So it's very, very fun. And it gets pretty addictive once you really get a chance to be laser focused on who you're trying to reach because it feels like every dollar you spend is actually producing. Okay, so amazing insights there and amazing story there as well, Dave. So when uh, we look at these geo-based businesses, I have seen some crazy way of sort of positioning, the way each business does this. It's sort of different. Sometimes I have seen that they are probably going to have, and I don't know if they are going to put in the meta description, but they are trying to mention their city name, the state name, the, I don't know, various combinations, and everybody sort of tries to do it differently. So in your experience, do you have any sort of best practices, you know, what they should be doing to make sure that they are going to get qualified traffic? Because in other businesses, what I have personally seen is, even if you are going to get a lot of traffic, that may not be meaningful. If I'm doing business in New York, I want business from New York or from all of those cities, as opposed to everyone else. Right. So there's two things to think about, especially when we're talking about SEO yeah. for content. You really can't just load every city or every municipality or every neighborhood that you're trying to reach onto a single page and expect yeah. to get anything. For best coverage, you need to be very specific and have unique posts and unique content for each of those places, right? So while it's very tempting just to throw every city that you could possibly serve into a post, much better to go deep for the neighborhoods, for the regions, for the general locations, and create a super helpful resource for the people that you're trying to connect with. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Dave. Now, Eric, I'm actually going to move to you. Uh, obviously, everybody is going to have different perspectives because they are focusing on different things. They have different skill sets. So your perspective is going to be very development-centric. And in that as well, you are probably going to have very specific strategies that you are going to employ to make sure that location-based strategies that is coming from the business is going to work. So do you have any, st any yeah. stories that you might be that able was, to share? That was a cool story, Dave. New market. I don't uh, get too involved in the marketing aspect of things, but I get more involved of, of the, okay, what happens when the user winds up on the site? Here's an example from one of my customers sells industrial water heaters. These are not the kind of thing you can just trot out to the Home Depot or somebody to, to buy this if sell through representatives. But some of their products are some of their products are oil fired. Believe it or not, that's still a thing. Yeah. In New England. So some of the products are uh, solar and some of the products are natural gas. So there's little point in serving content to a customer in California about an oil-fired industrial water heater because those things don't even are they don't even needed there. If a customer comes to visit them who's from say Sacramento, they're going to display primarily in on their product pages, they're going to direct them to a landing page with solar solar units. Mostly those are storage tanks and and completely exclude that the oil based unless they search for it of course on site search uh, so that's that's how we would tailor the content that a particular visitor might see thank you so much uh, eric for that so i'm actually going to move to rich uh, rich i know that you are probably going to have uh, you know tons of tons of stories and they are going to be slightly deeper from the location based business perspective and the reason for that is because you are working with slightly more complex businesses. So do you want to share a story that may paint the picture of different things that we need to look at when we are looking at these location-specific businesses from the product perspective, from the pricing perspective, from the customer perspective? Do you want to share? Sure. I'll try to keep it brief. So I actually think geolocation marketing is 
required for every business, including manufacturers, down to things. Historically, they've done things like a where to buy. And a where to buy is a non-converting asset where they actually send their lead to a third party and don't necessarily convert it. So we started our platform by actually changing the where to buy to bought. And so we can actually do third party channel conflict free commerce directly from one manufacturer to their retailer. Continuing down that path, we focused on how do we get the customer to have their best experience. So that lead led us to building out last mile tactics and uh, in the battery market delivery and installation. From a geolocation marketing standpoint, absolutely every last part of our website, our technology is geo-based from inventory management that goes from the onboard inventory on a driver to the inventory at the retailer to the inventory at a wholesale supplier and everything else like that. So in real time, we will actually give a map to the consumer of what items are selected based on their based on their real time availability. So for Dallas, we'll show one thing at two o'clock, and if, if things change between techs or inventory availability at four o'clock, it might be different. So we actually geolocate everything from the, the inventory to the provider to the inventory source uh, after hour, not after hour, absolutely every variable you could possibly imagine. And by being able to connect that, and then having the middlewares to connect all the way back to the manufacturer. Our long-term goal and vision of, of 1-800-BATTERY, and more importantly, the software platform that 1-800-BATTERY battery is built on, is the manufacturers can, can market directly to the consumer and holistically include the entire value supply chain all the way downstream without competing against them. So what a manufacturer does now, when they go and drop ship directly or go to Amazon marketplaces directly or whatever, they're cutting out their last-mile um, delivery networks and or suppliers or warehouse distributors, and they're taking cherries off the top. The problem is warranty and supply and service is not a singular index of shipping. There's multiple aspects to it, discovery, diagnosis, and, and delivery. So um, we really believe that we've got the next level. I, I actually think I have the next Amazon, to be quite frank with you, by, by, by going down all those platforms and having the decades of ERP experience at massive scale. We've done tens of billions of dollars through our software over the years that it gave us a different perspective when we went and tackled this geolocation problem. I don't think there's a company in the world doing what we're doing today. So great insights there. So I'm actually going to have a follow-up question for you. So obviously, you know, I don't know if the platform is going to be very specific to the battery industry, but why is geo-based so important for these consumers or for the business? What are they trying to accomplish oh, by being... It's not battery specific. It just happened to be a category. We have a lot of warehouses, but the um, so it's agnostic to whatever platform it is. Why geolocation is so important? It's the number one personalization requirement based on what the consumer needs, right? So Eric hit on something that hey, if I'm in California, I don't need to see this water heater. That means nothing. So everybody else has collection pages and category pages. And they think of it like a database or think of it like they think of it. We completely go the exact opposite. Even Eric had that a little bit into it. So we bias the results automatically based on where the consumer So in, in a hot water heater example like he was showing, we wouldn't even show that customer where it is. And then there's the, all the other value-added technologies required to execute. So, for example, we have um, we have different things that we can figure out where the customer's at, not just one of the, question, one of the questions is going to come in later. Like when you say allow location, when you ask a consumer its location when they first hit the website and they say no, you never get access to that again. So we don't do that until deep in the cycle, if at all. We try to avoid it. We use a whole bunch of other technologies that we've, incre we've created internally as well externally. So when the customer hits that page, we're guessing where he is long before 
we ever ask them, right? And I'll give you an idea of what that means for conversion ratio. So when we started down this path, the typical automotive website like AutoZone, in the automotive category, it's about a 2% conversion. We launched, we were at a 4% conversion. That sounds great to you, right? We're at 9% conversion today of all. So that when you get dialed in, you think of personalization from the consumer standpoint, from a digital standpoint, connecting to the geolocation standpoint, you can have factoring multiples of success that that's almost uncomprehensible from the small guys at scale. And that's that's some of the insights that we've, we've... Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Rich, for that. So, Steve, I'm actually going to come to you. So, I don't know if you're going to have any specific stories based on your engagements that you might be able to share from the geo-based perspective. Yeah. One of the simpler ones was a client that basically had licensed their large, you know, these like $35,000 uh, machines to a company in Europe. And that company in Europe was selling it for about 100000 US and then servicing them at a very high level all over Europe out of Germany. And the, when the German team found out that the American company had these on their website for $35,000, uh, that, that didn't bode well for that relationship. Additionally, there was a lot, there were uh, all their consumer products were also showing in Europe and their, eventually their European distributors said, hey, what the heck, we actually have, because uh, of exchange rates and things like that, we have customers who are now buying from America and letting you ship it to them in Europe and we want you to stop. So we essentially set up geo, geo IP tracking. We've done this. You can do this on any website. There's plugins. Um, but, you know, based on the, uh, the IP address and perhaps some other information, you can either show or not show the buy now button, show or not show the, uh, the pricing. You know, it's not perfect, but, you know, like Rich said, you're, you are making a guess and you're using as many tools as you can. But the, those were two really simple examples of how you could use geo IP to you know, sort of affect the user experience at the request of, say, a dealer. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting that we did, we had a client who, you know, service-based manufacturer, essentially, and they had regions that were managed by sales folks. And they originally said, well, we want to have all these, all these other, you know, like Dave would say, all these pages for all these different areas. And what we realized is from a GOIP implementation standpoint, what they actually needed is a menu for, say, the Midwest and a menu for the Southwest and a menu for the Southeast. And that menu then linked. They, they still built all those pages. Uh, so there were, were specific pages relevant to people who were dealers in the in the Southwest, Southeast or whatnot. And so their menu went to those pages. The menu names might not have changed, but the links changed. And instead of coming up with some crazy map of content that would be shown to Google based on where their location is. We just changed the menu and Google still got to see everything and crawl it regularly. But if I was in Alabama, I got to see all the stuff related to that particular uh, region. And uh, it also allowed them the opportunity to provide individual individualized sort of messaging, like say, hey, uh, talk to your sales representative, Jane. And when they called the number, they actually got Jane because that was her right one. So that was a, a really significant sort of user experience piece that allowed that company to up their game in terms of their relationship building. Okay, so very interesting stories there. And I am going to have uh, one follow-up question for you. I don't know if you have seen any specific trends because of this uh, duo sort of experience or the personalization that you were providing to specific locations. Did you find any insights that were really fascinating for you guys when you were, let's say, working in different regions where a specific user likes to see something versus the other? Any stories by any chance? 
Well, one of the things we actually saw, I'm, I'm going to answer a slightly different question because we okay. saw a trend that wasn't about users seeing particular things. But what we found is that in conjunction with the GOP tracking on the website and the tracking of locations in paid advertising, it became really clear that there was sort of this void of traffic coming from Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. And when we asked about it, they said, oh, yeah, we just decided that that was an area that we didn't think we'd be very effective in. So we don't have a sales rep there. And uh, and so we said, OK, you, you, what you have here is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. They actually hired a sales rep for that region. And when they did, their sell-through in that area, of course, went up in terms of wholesale orders to dealers all across all four of those states. But you could see a commensurate increase in organic and paid traffic to those regions because they were now showing up in stores and because they had a sales rep who was focusing on that area. So it's not like they were asking for uh, the, the customers were getting a different experience. There were no customers because they actually didn't have any backbone to back them up. So it ended up you know, increasing their revenue by 20% because 20% of the U.S. was not being targeted by anybody, essentially, because of the salesperson. Yeah, that's massive. And I think, you know, you can learn so much about uh, the insights that you are going to get from uh, these technologies if you can track the location, obviously. So that's uh, great. So Chris, I am actually going to move to you. I don't know if you're going to have any specific story. Obviously, your industry is slightly different. It's not going to be the consumer industry where you have to track the location. But in your case, I don't know if the equipment dealers are going to track the location and if that is going to be any beneficial in your space. Do you have any stories that you might be able to share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, similar to Eric and some of the comments from Rich, we are doing more things on site for customers. And I think it really is for the personalization that Rich mentioned. So. What happens in our space, because we do have manufacturers who, of course, send sell to end customers. Most of the time it is a B2B space, but we have many manufacturers who sell internationally. And by using geo-based locations, we can serve up different products, different images, different content, different pricing and currency, depending on where that user is located. So we are certainly doing that. And that helps create that personalization that, of course, customers are looking for. Something else that we've seen in our space, because many of the companies that we work with, they have cross products that cross many different uh, categories. For instance, uh, right now in Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, it would be applicable to show snow plow type uh, products and shovels and, and that type of thing. Whereas in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, they're not going to want to see any of that. So showing <laughs> lawn care products still would be more relevant to that space. And certainly we can do that through geolocation, through our site-based uh, activities. So that's something for sure that I've seen. I think an opportunity, I actually think this whole space is a huge opportunity and Rich probably understands it, uh, you know, certainly a lot better than I do uh, just because he's in the application of it. But I think we're going to see this space grow a lot. Um, certainly at trade shows, the ability to target your market at a trade show and then get them to a landing page that either gets them to a booth where you may be located uh, to do something, whether you're trying to actually sell equipment at your booth, if you have a demonstration of your products at your booth. Uh, I have uh, personally, even for our own business, we have had companies 
uh, reach out to us knowing that we're going to attend a trade show. So we're going to have attendance at a trade show and they want to sell us geotargeting. And certainly that, that's an opportunity for everyone to get potentially, if you already have budgeted dollars for a trade show, this could go into those budgeted dollars and you can test some different things and modify uh, your testing of a radius of a convention center to see how you could drive additional traffic to your booth or uh, increase your brand awareness by driving them to uh, either landing pages or product pages and so on. So these are the types of things that for sure I have seen. Okay, so love the trade show story. That's uh, that's extremely fascinating. But the follow-up question that I'm going to have is going to be related to the, the product comment that you made. And I think uh, that's very interesting. So for people who might not be familiar with, you know, how to present their products on uh, on the basis of geo. So I don't know how the data is going to be structured. So let's say if I am trying to have similar capabilities for my e-commerce platform, and I don't know whether I am going to be simply installing a plugin, and that is going to auto show these products in those IP, but there has to be some sort of correlation with the product and geo. So how does that correlation work? Are you tracking any specific attributes at the product level? so that you can show those products in the specific order. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? How does that correlation work? There's mapping in our database okay. to the, the specific locations related to the products that should be shown. Okay. So there's an additional field in our database that says these products will be shown in these locations. Um, and basically, you are either eliminating or adding products according to the different locations. Uh, and then, of course, through IP, like Steve mentioned, that's how you're picking up the location uh, to make sure that the right products are being shown. And then, it, uh, you know, for those uh, logged in users that are typically assigned to a, an account, we would be pulling the currency in according to that uh, logged in user. But if it is a guest user or an anonymous user, so we don't have an account, uh, then we're using that IP uh, address location to make sure we're showing the right currency. So there is some mapping that takes place, and we do that alongside the customer. That's how it would work in Gen Alpha's Equip uh, solution. I'm not familiar with all of the other Magentos and Shopify's, how it might work with them. Eric might have a better idea of that. Eric, do you want to take that? Or Steve? Uh, uh, you sure. Know, yeah. yeah, I can. The way it would be done in that platform is uh, we would have attributes for the type of product it is, like solar or oil-fired and the GOIP extension, we would map the product attributes. We'll say, show these products with this particular combination of attribute. So we're not necessarily defining a territory. It's more like what type, well, we define a territory, but then we can select products based upon the type of attribute that the product has. That's how, that's how we solve it. Also, I wanted to throw one other thing out there. It's kind of a developer party trick, but it's an old one. We build sites occasionally for the European market. And if you're in selling, say, in the Czech Republic and Slovakia and Poland and the EU, there's several different currencies and a number of different languages involved, maybe the same product. So you could display the same product, but if your visitor is from Prague, you'd want to display the currency in Czech crowns. But if they're in Berlin, well, you'd want to show euros. So that's not it quite marketing but but the point of tailoring the display to a particular visitor well i mean that's that's an aspect of marketing 
too. Um, this would, these are B2B sites that we do this sort of thing for. And just one question, and I'm going to come to you, Steve. So, Eric, so when you mentioned the attribute, are these uh, attributes the default attributes that uh, Shopify is going to have? Magento, every you know platform is going to have some sort of attribute as long as they are uh, supporting uh, inventory. Well, uh, not all platforms. Uh, recently, I was working on big commerce, and okay. I, could, I couldn't do what I wanted. I was a little bit annoyed. Um, <laughs> So not every platform does everything. It's not it's not an equal playing field. Definitely not. Magento is known for its super flexible product configuration. Um, also makes it complex to run. But other, other I'm I'm not saying you can't do it. There might be some other ways to do that of which I'm not aware. But uh, you can certainly do basic GOIP segregation. Yeah. Okay, uh, Steve, uh, do you want to go next? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to agree with Eric uh, in the way, but I would answer it slightly differently. Um, that's the GOIP setting up GOIP stuff, we'll call it, because we don't want to use two technical terms. Is actually incredibly easy to do, you know, in spite of what you might think. It's the what's more difficult is geo targeting, which includes GOIP address and all the stuff that Rich mentioned, and. Uh, I would say that the geo IP and geo targeting is something that every company should be thinking about and implementing and tying it to analytics so they can start asking themselves the artistic questions that it sounds like rich is light years ahead of most people. They must have a, a team thinking about this all the time. And so set, setting it up is actually pretty easy. Most technology teams could set this up in a day, just basic. GOIP targeting. The maps are already there. They, they're free. You can connect to them via an API. There's plugins from WordPress and Magento and Shopify, all for that stuff. The, the other types of more intensive uh, targeting where they take the IP address off and they take into account other factors around you that they're trying to decipher, like Rick was talking about, those are more difficult, but you can work on those later. But in the meantime, get it set up and start thinking about it so that in five years, you can be, if you're 20% of the way where Rich Keller and his team is now in five years, you'll, you'll be in a, a, you'll be ahead of a 90% of everybody else, I guess. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. So Dave, I'm actually going to come to you and the, uh, we are going to open up the next segment, which is going to be slightly more the differences between B2B and B2C. I don't know if there are going to be any specific differences as long as you are tracking location. Have you seen any differences between B2B and B2C? The biggest difference between B2B and B2C for our clients anyway, when we're targeting is the intention of the purchase, right? So if you're going B2B, you're probably looking for a lead. You're looking for more research. You're looking for content. Whereas if you're going to B2B, you're just getting to the transaction by by and large. So if you're going to invest and geo-target and try to find specific people, generally you're either putting them into a sales process if you're going B2B or an outright transaction if you're straight to be now this is fun and this is interesting where you can target it back and say okay well only people in these specific regions are going to get this language or this thing what i thought was actually interesting is we had a time with with a client where we excluded the competitors that we were advertising for so we could enter in their ip addresses for the headquarters of the competitor that we were trying to exclude to kind of keep our IP a little bit separate so that the, comp- the competition didn't really know what we were advertising. Of course, now with mobile, people are moving around a lot more. 
but it was actually pretty fun and pretty interesting to say, okay, well, everybody that's in this headquarters or in this general IP address, I don't want them to see what we're doing. So that was pretty interesting and it actually worked okay. So when you start talking about like B2B, one of the other things that we try to get into is like ABM or account-based marketing, trying to target every single person that could be a purchaser in your B2B sale. You can target an IP address for a location and augment all of the ABM work that you're doing individually or with your sales team with advertising designed to reach that specific person. So I am going to have one follow-up question for you. How yeah. do you find the IP address of your competitors? Oh, it's um, tricky. I'm not going to give away all my candidates. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, actually, it's actually not that tough. There's lots of tools out there that will give you that information so you can enter in email addresses or domains. You can actually do a Whois lookup on yeah. the domain if it's sitting in the right spot and look at that. But there's there's a bunch of ways that you can get into it. And, uh, you know, really depending on the company and the outreach, that's going to adjust. But there's some really fun tools that you can use to find individual IP addresses for specific. That's very interesting. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Eric, I'm actually going to come to you. B2B versus B2C, what's been your experience? Well, I have one comment about what Dave said. Sounds like he has an interest in hacking a little. But <laughs> the you can you can kind of foil some of those lookups by using VPNs, and a lot of corporate networks do use VPNs. Yeah. Because then it looks like you're coming and Poughkeepsie. But I the I, the, I think it would uh, matter if for my B two B customers who who are the ones that I have that want to spend money on this, uh, whether or not the people are returning to their site, and we can use browser fingerprinting and to track them and then that information is pumped into hubspot or salesforce or pardot or something like that so we can do account-based marketing when we finally realize that that who that person is and when they show up so that's kind of not exactly goip targeting but there are elements of it because we're looking at the ip address and we're trying to figure out where it comes from and one other comment is that idea about displaying say you're say you've got a visitor from texas and you've got several reps in texas for this um this manufacturer products need to be bought through a rep you could display uh, while they're on the site live real time we see you're interested in this here's the reps in your area would you like us would, would you like to contact them that that's a pretty brilliant direct i uh, say hey here, here here we are can we would you, do you have any questions it's better than this chat, I think. Or maybe you could have a chat that goes right to those people. I don't know. Lots of things are possible. There you okay. go. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Eric, for that. So I am actually going to come to you, Rich. So from your experience, I don't know if you do work primarily in the B2C space. Have you seen any sort of differences in the B2B versus B2C? I've worked at all on the ERP side um, at massive scale, to be honest with you. A little bit. A couple things I'm going to give a couple secrets to. Depends on how granular you need to get to on your GOIP targeting. From a GRP targeting, from the marketing standpoint, it's not as specific as you think. Like you go, I want a five-mile radius. From Google's yeah. going to feed traffic that has gone through that radius at a certain period of time and targeted. The second problem is the IP address, the prolification of mobile phones, hampers GOIP targeting. If you're trying to get too granular, if you're trying to get less than a 25 to 50-mile radius, you're in big trouble if you're going to use IP only. It's not going to do it. The second time on product segmenting, we do a couple of things a little bit different on that side too, um, which is why we built a headless platform that sits on top of either Shopify or, or BigCommerce. We use pure headless and API into those those platforms. 
but uh, because nothing worked out of the box that's out there. None of the geo-targeting works. It, it, it crosses off a checkbox, but when it comes to marketing and P&L responsibility of execution and making sure you're making money on it, it don't work. It doesn't even come close. The uh, is, is we actually geolocate the provider. That could be a retail location. The services they offer, and those services can be click-to-call, like Ed was just saying, it could be shipping, it could be delivery, whatever it is, but that, that develops a map and a radius of what services we present to the customer based on that geolocation, and then we fall down to other granularity, inventory availability, biasing. For example, if we go into a single market, we might have 30 different products. We're going to have a certain um, category segmented on what we would call a good, better, best. Or we can have different, bi- we call them biasing formulas here, but we can show those formulas and everything else like that. The last side on geotargeting that I'd like to expand on was the, we take geotargeting not just for sales and consumer display, we take it as part of execution. So one of the big components we have is ETA availability, right? And that's also geo-based. Geo-based all the way down to the weather. Somebody was mentioned about weather. Our geo, our ads, our, our um, ETAs for mobile delivery will increase based on weather. Uh, automatically in where it's at. So all of those little nuances of, of geotargeting is when you really truly take it into your business philosophy, isn't just about sales and marketing. Isn't about product information. It's literally about every little devil in the detail to make that consumer experience seamless and, and invisible to all the, all the variables that are out there. And the less time they spend trying to figure out your site or your product discovery, the more likely they will convert or be given the information to have a better experience. And better experience equals more money. It's as simple as that. And geotargeting on every single aspect of that operation is our uh, important. I don't care if it's B2B or B2C. It's still the same thing. Like sales rep assignment or whatever it is, it's still the same thing. Customers really want to know where is it, how long is it going to take to get to me, and what are the issues. And if you take a lot of those variables out of the equation, it leads to success. Very interesting. So I am definitely going to have some follow-up questions based on your commentary right now and also in the earlier commentary so you are saying that you know what uh you know i am able to track this end to end and i should be able to provide the eta which almost sounds like as if you are sort of tracking the product on the ubers app uh, which is fascinating if you actually look at it but let's say if i'm the e-commerce merchant and if i want to provide the similar experience as uber then probably i need to have some sort of tracking on the product itself and typically, when we work with these e-commerce companies, they are probably not going to have their own trucks or fleets. So how are you tracking the product and how are you able to ensure the ETA for the product for these customers? We have the replenishment cycle and the inventory cycle built in so that we know where it's at and if we're going to go pick it up. And we have a mobile app that all of our providers use as well so that we have an Uber experience not only for our driver and our installers, as well as the consumer, so that once that thing's in process, the consumer gets to track it in real time. It literally works as close to Uber as you can possibly imagine. Um, and that's 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 a full experience from product order, product pickup, product installation, and, and everything else like that. Very interesting. So, okay, so I'm actually going to move to you, Steve, your experience in B2B versus B2C. Any stories that you might be able to share? Well, I, yes, and I, I want to actually sort of uh, piggyback on Rich. Um, I don't know if people realize this, but when we talk about GOIP, uh, from a consumer standpoint, people freak out and they think, oh, somebody knows where I am standing, right? And if, if you've got an app like Uber Open or a Google app or, or a, uh, 
I just got GPS app open. Somebody does know where you're standing. That's not what we're talking about here. Most likely the data that's going to come to one of our, like say Eric, Chris, Steve, Dave, one of our retailers is, well, Rich too, but he's, he's taken to the next level and I'll explain the difference is going to be the a hub, the, the closest hub or cell tower. And, and that's why you have this radius around which you can work. Now, what, what Rich is explaining is he's got stores all over the United States. So if he's got somebody in Chicago, he knows what their inventory is. He might even know what hours the repair person works. And so what, what they're doing that's, that I find fascinating is what we would call geolocated punch throughs. So just like if the, if the hours in Chicago are eight to four and the hours in LA are eight to six, you can punch through an eight to six number to the people that are in LA and punch through an eight to four number in Chicago. Like what you could, so you can do that with any information. So if you're, if you're Home Depot or 1-800-BATTERY, you've got shops all over the United States. That's the magic that you can tap into around all that location-specific information that you can drive local people to. If you're a retailer like what I normally work with are manufacturers that sell to dealers all around the United States, most of those dealers aren't as sophisticated as Home Depot. And if we're even selling to Home Depot, Home Depot is not necessarily sophisticated enough to send information outside of their own data hub to, into our data lake. But we don't really know that Bob's Bait and Tackle has 37 of these in stock, and we don't know exactly what their hours are. But we could go through the process of uploading them into our database of information and providing that information to the website as use flags that then get punched through. But for the most part, the rest of us aren't that sophisticated. What we're really just trying to do is say, I don't want to serve a snow, snowplow product, whatever snowblower ad to somebody in Arizona. And I don't want to try and sell air conditioning to somebody who lives in Regina, Alberta. So we've actually taken that a little bit further, too. So it goes back to that manufacturer with dealers. Typically, awesome. they send it to a where to buy. Right. And that's a broken process. It like, again, that if we talk about all the things that you have is you don't know if you're sending them there. They're going to pitch a competitor's product. They even have it in inventory, so on and so forth. So we actually have a, um, an inventory agnostic model where we don't, we don't necessarily know it's there and we call and verify. But more importantly, I have a, literally, it's another geolocation technology. I own a bank and we create a credit card on demand and we actually send the payment directly to the retailer on behalf of the customer. So we take the customer's dollars. And we will send them to Bob's retail shop converted. That way, when they show up at Bob's, they're going to be spending the dollars, almost like a virtual gift card on demand from the manufacturer. So the manufacturer can pitch their brand and have conversion and have top line revenue growth and make sure they're not sending warm leads to the competitors at a retailer who hasn't been stocking very well. So the more leads you send to those retailers and you track it, you figure out who's stocking right, who's not stocking right. I have a whole huge forecasting system that's built into our global ERP. But the uh, by by knowing those items that you're sending, because you're sending customers there that are hot, already prepaid, it changes the equation. And I think that's going to be our 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 secondary expansion level for the manufacturers that they can brand themselves and control the consumer experience, not just hand it off to somebody. And I think that's a that's that end end secondary geolocation stuff that we're doing at scale. Okay, amazing. So I'm actually going to move to Chris. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you have any stories that you might be able to share between the differences of B2B versus B2C. 
Yeah, I think what I would add to the the conversation here with respect to B2B to B2C is that if we really break down or summarize geo-targeting, there's three ways that you typically find that you're doing it. You do it through a search engine, um, you serve it up through social, or you do it on site, right? So typically what I find today with the companies that we work with, OEMs, um, they're doing more of the on-site stuff. They're not as do- doing as much search engine, serving up ads, and then driving it. I think this is an opportunity area and the social, the social ads. Also within social, I think most often B2B is using LinkedIn, whereas in B2C, you're going to see more Instagram and Facebook. So if people wanted to start dabbling in this area, I would say that, you know, your search engine results and then your your social are great opportunities to start, particularly in B2C, but there's a big opportunity for B2B uh, in that area as well. So that that would be what I see today but that the opportunity is so much bigger. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. So Dave, I'm actually going to come to you and uh, we are going to uh, do one round if you want to address any of the comments that have been made so far in the panel uh, so you can touch on that. Sure. I think there there's one little layer that I want to um, just bring up that I don't know if we've talked about, but I think Rich probably mentioned it a little bit as we were talking about, or actually it was Steve when he was talking about the towers and the geolocating based on where people are driving around through. If you're too laser focused on your exact geo targets, and again, I'm being kind of broad, but you know, if you have like individual neighborhoods that you're targeting or closely um, centered cities, you run the risk about or of competing against yourself because those concentric circles overlap. So if you're going to the wrong space and you're being too focused, you run the risk of actually competing against yourself. So you have to kind of figure out what that balance is between being super focused and winding up competing against yourself. So that would be the the only thing that I really haven't um, teased up about geo-targeting yet. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, Eric, would you like to touch on any of the comments that have been mentioned so far? Any any Anything you want to address? Those are some really interesting points. I I do mostly do this with B2B customers, and um, I actually never thought of the LinkedIn angle. That's great. I'm going to take that back to my, my customers. Uh, LinkedIn advertising. I'm not a marketing person. You can probably tell. Um, so more of what I do is, is the uh, server code-based stuff done with extensions and databases and such. I, I don't really have much to add besides that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for that. Uh, Rich, do you want to address any of the comments that have been made so far in the panel? I can give some practical experience on Dave's side. The, the, the more target you're on the geolocation, you don't actually end up competing against yourself. Uh, you just have to be aware of your own market from, from that geolocation. And automotive services, if you go beyond five miles from the consumer, it reduces conversion dramatically. So that's why um, you'll see a lot of people still using traditional media like coupon mailers and stuff like that because they could target a specific address. And it's why they haven't, haven't done so well on digital. So that, that's one of the issues there. And on our end, um, we've kind of broken that seal and figured it out. But it's not as something as simple as the, the IP address. But there are some links and some data that you do get on the other side. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Rich, for that. Steve, would you like to address any of the commentary that have been discussed? Any agreement, disagreements? No agreements or disagreements. I, I do want to – what I want to say is that there's also – we forget that am, there are analog versions to geotargeting. 
And I want to throw these in there to remind people that a billboard is a geo-targeted thing. A local TV show and TV ad and buses, those are all geo-targeted ads. And I once worked with a company where we did, from a marketing perspective, we wanted to four-wall Atlanta to actually see if we could drive sales to retailers of the products in Atlanta with radio, TV, and paid advertising, plus buses and billboards. And I'm sure there were a couple other things in there. But the geo-targeting from a paid advertising standpoint was really easy to set up an ad, Google Ads and Bing Ads campaign that just said, here's Atlanta, greater metro region, go. Right. But from a measurement standpoint, we didn't want to actually, well, what we wanted to succeed in doing is seeing what the results were by measuring the retail sales of the uh, the retailers and the geo ads that were run uh, in paid advertising actually linked to those retailers and not to ourselves. So the, and we were actually able to see that we could have an effect on retail sales in a particular region by spending a certain amount of money and expect a certain amount of ROI on the other end. But like I said, it required a little bit of geo-targeting from a paid advertising push standpoint, geo-targeting from an analog standpoint, and zero geo-targeting from an organic standpoint. So we didn't care what the organic traffic was doing at that time. We were just trying to measure sales on the ground. So just want to pride that story and re remind people that other forms of advertising besides SEO and paid. Okay, yeah, we're, do, we're doing connected TV and OTT and stuff like that as well. But connected TV is the next that venture. You got to be big enough to be able to do it. That's the trick for the small guys who are trying to geo-target. I mean, you have to have a minimum spend of just to talk to the connected TV guys that are worthwhile. Um, you got to spend 50 to 100 grand a month. So it takes scale to build out geolocation. That's why I think geolocation marketplaces like we're doing are next generation because no single manufacturer or potentially no single small retailer compete against a guy like me out there. You just don't, you're not going to be able to do it, right, just from a marketing standpoint. And so that uh, that's why I think – driving it back to local. That's the whole business model that we have is driving it all back to local, no matter who the provider is, the retailer or the service oriented and trying to get away from the Amazon monopoly and giving the little guys a chance to, to compete in a marketplace. That's our entire business vision. Okay. Amazing. Chris, do you want to address any of the comments that have been made so far? No, I, I think what I would just mention is that uh, I looked up some stats before we, we got started today, just to understand that strategic Strategy Analytics said in Ju June 2021 that half the world's entire population now owns a smartphone, right? So what they're saying is that four billion, some 4 billion people use a smartphone today. So if you think about geolocating, that's a lot of power and opportunity. Um, initial, uh, an initial stat that I found was that in the U.S. alone, 81% of people own a smartphone. And uh, of that, 94% millennials own a smartphone. So if you really think about the opportunity here, uh, to Rich's point and all of the different variables that he is uh, actually uh, using geotargeting for, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity here. I think that this is a topic that we're going to see come up in research and be talking about a lot more in the future for sure. So have you seen any manufacturers or distributors really utilizing the power of geotargeting? So far, I don't know how many of them are really able to utilize. And if not, what are the barriers in your opinion? Yeah, I think for some, they don't know it exists or they don't understand the power of it. So some of the things that we're talking about here, they're just there's not a, a complete awareness of how it works. And they don't have the infrastructure set up 
to, to utilize anything like this today. So that, that's another challenge for them. What I will say is that while I don't have, I don't see a lot of people using it today, when people, large organizations, enterprise companies talk about the future and their vision, that's when these discussions come in. What if we could do the things that Rich is talking about? And that becomes the vision. And then they have to step back and say, what do we need in place in order to execute on that vision? And that's where some of these technology conversations start to come into play. You don't, if you don't have an e-commerce site, it's going to be hard to use geotargeting and drive people to your to a non-existent e-commerce site to place an order for components, right? So there are these steps, but they get to this vision and say, I want to be able to do this. And typically it starts at the top, right? And then they have to funnel that down to the organization to say, okay, now what strategies do we need to execute to deliver on that vision? I think that's where, what we're going to see happen here. So Steve's idea about geotargeting using billboards would require the e-commerce site as well, because you would need to track it somehow, even if you are going in the physical mode. I don't know, Steve, if you are going to have any follow-up commentary there. <laughs> I think you said it best already. <laughs> All right. So we are going to take just the closing advice right now, guys. So we have roughly, uh, you know, a minute that we can spare for everybody. Dave, what would be your closing advice as far as geotargeting goes for businesses? Yes, especially for B2B and manufacturing, I think the, the big thing is that it's doable, right? So there's there's lots and lots of budgets and there's lots of opportunity out there to really connect and find the right people. And there's more tools than you probably realize to let you be super focused on who you're trying to reach. At the same time, I don't think we brought this up yet, but uh, nasty old iOS is, is throwing some wrenches in with do not track and some of that other stuff. So Apple, um, way, to, way to be a spoiled sport on some of this stuff. But yeah. if you do it right, and if you focus on value for your intended audience and target, they'll be able to, or they'll be willing to trade a little bit of information with you, aka at least a click, at least some sort of an intent. And then you can use that data, that activity to continue marketing. So all's not lost, even though Apple is throwing a wrench in the... Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Eric, do you have your closing advice ready? Uh, sure. I, I would just say that this GOIP technology is, is not a new thing. It's been around for quite a while, and maybe it's just becoming common. But implementing this on most e-commerce sites, at least some level of it, is really not that difficult, and it doesn't take that long, and there's some pretty pretty good payback from that. So it really should be on your list if you're running the site, if you're an administrator or a marketing manager, it really should be considered. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for that. Uh, Rich, what would be your closing advice as far as geo-based targeting goes? If you're not doing it, you're in big trouble long-term. I mean, it literally is is the only way for you to get through mindshare and the massive number of things is a, is a cohesive geolocated marketing strategy across your, your channels. If you're a B2B customer and how your markets being your customers are actually marketing your products and services and also internally, um, if not, you're, you're in big trouble. And I'm talking, I'm, I came from manufacturing first and you, you better figure out that marketing is key. Um, and that you can't get by on trade shows and sales reps, sales reps is bad marketing. So, you know, make sure you actually have a, a real marketing agenda or you're in big trouble long-term. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that, Rich. Uh, Steve, what would be your closing advice as far as geo-based marketing goes? My advice starts with a comment, which is that 
Rich has made the back of my head do this. I've been using GOP stuff for various purposes for 20 years. My advice, I, I noticed that Rich has his phone number there, 1-800-BATTERY. So I'm going to call 1-800-BATTERY and ask for Rich Keller, and then I'm going to pick his brain. All right, amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. Thanks. Okay, Chris, what would be your closing advice? Yeah, get your foundation in place because to the points made earlier, you're going to be irrelevant in the future if you don't start implementing some of these uh, opportunities and technologies. So you've got to get started. All right, amazing, guys. So that's it for today. On that note, I want to thank everybody for your time and insight. Thank you, Sam. Happy holidays. Bye. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Lenman, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R. A-C-T-I-V-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to genalpha dot com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A dot com. If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to dot com jungle dot com. It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E dot com. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb dot com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y web.com. If you want to learn more about Rich Keller, head over to 1800battery.com. It's 1800battery.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Steve Rice, who discusses why congruence is the most important factor to optimize product category architecture navigation, user experience, customer journeys, and campaign design. Also, the interview with Jeff White, who discusses why it is so important to identify the ideal customer profile for your offerings to streamline your growth. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to get you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.